Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Baghdad Sound Walks. Hello, fellow travelers. Welcome to Baghdad Sound Walks. I'm Dina. And I'm Ali. You know, Ali, we've traveled all around Baghdad, and almost everything we've talked about is touched by politics from the marketplace to the mosque to the harem, even the hammam. Politics was everything, Dina. Muslims spilled a lot of ink pondering what good government should look like, what a wise ruler should be like, and why it all mattered for society. And we got a little glimpse of this when we visited the palace, the khalif, the viziers, and all the different powerful groups who were right in the center of the political intrigue. We know throughout history how messy succession can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, the issue with the Khalif is that technically he's not a king. Muslims, in fact, were initially very averse to monarchies. That's why they invented the concept of the Khalif, because he was supposed to be a custodian of sorts, if you will, the social and political leader who guided the Muslim community and guarded their realms. A very good way to get around the label. Even in Arabic, khalif doesn't mean king, but vicergent, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. But honestly, it sounds exactly like a kingship. Power rested with them, and they were part of the dynasty that passed the role down, and they lived in a palace. Yeah, yeah, a king in all but name. Names can be deceiving. For example, Baghdad was called the city of peace, but really, there were some skeletons in the closet. I'm glad you finally said it. Ali, I can tell you're gearing up for a story. Do you remember the founder of Baghdad? Al-Mansur and his dream of a round city, yes. Well, this story goes right back to him. Apparently, once he had built the city, he gives the key to the vault to Raita, a future queen. And he says to her, do not open these vaults until I have passed. And Raita, being a faithful woman, said, all right, I won't. And once they heard news that Al-Mansur had died, she goes to her husband and says, listen, Al-Mansur gave me this key and he told me not to open up the vaults, but now he's dead. Let's go see what's inside the vaults. So they go down, put the key in, the door creaks open, and they discover wall after wall of bodies. The bodies of the Talibids, a powerful dynasty that were the rival of Al-Mansur. He had kept all the skeletons in the vault with tags on them so that you could identify whose body was whose. Eventually, they buried them and gave them a formal funeral. Oh my God, so literal skeletons in the closet. That's so disgusting. Can you imagine what that smelt like? And with that heat, ooh. Oh my God, the politics of this time period was no joke. Putting the bodies of your enemies in a big vault with a label. It's a tale as old as time, from the ancient Achaemenids to the Romans to the Hans. One of the universal constants of history is that human competitions for power are always lethal. 
And it's this type of political intrigue that will make Baghdad, the city of peace, into a place of civil war. I know that Baghdad is technically destroyed several times throughout history. Destroyed and rebuilt. The War of the Two Brothers is one of those instances. But to know that, we actually have to go to the Night of the Three Khalifs first. I love how dramatic all the names are from this time period. The Palace of the Golden Gate, the House of Wisdom, the Knight of the Three Caliphs. They really, really don't name things like they used to. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> this night sets the stage for everything. So Al-Hadi, the Caliph, rules for one year. The reason for only one year is that he tries to sideline his powerful mother, Khayzuran, who we visited before. He doesn't like women being in charge. Like all dunderheads, he thinks that women shouldn't be involved in politics. So what does she do? She has him killed. It's unclear how. Some say she hired his favorite wife to smother him with a pillow. Others say poison. But on that night... His brother, Harun al-Rashid, will hear that he has been named Khalif in 786. He gets this news. The old Khalif is dead. You are the new Khalif. And at the exact same moment, he also hears about the birth of his son, al-Ma'mun, who will be Khalif later. So you have one dead Khalif, the ascension of another, and the birth of a third. That is one busy night. It really is. Imagine hearing all that. By the way, the old king is dead, you're the new king, and the future king has been born. What stands out to me in that story as well is Khaizuran, who we've spoken about a few times. Like Zubaida, she stands out as one of the powerful women of this time. She quelled the rebellion of the guards in the marketplace by paying them off. She changed the whole succession of the caliphate from one son to another. And Zubaydah managed the marriage of Al-Amin and built the roads around Baghdad for the pilgrimage and the caravansarai. Talk about exceptional women. Truly. So I'm guessing this is where the war begins. I mean, it's certainly when the seeds are planted. But actually, Harun al-Rashid will rule over a pretty peaceful period. In fact, some call it the golden period of al-Rashid. It's his golden rule because of how prosperous it was, how stable it was. He moves out of the Palace of Eternity and moves back into the Palace of the Golden Gate, which we talked about. And he's the one who really builds the House of Wisdom, and is responsible for the cultural renaissance that is taking place. I can't wait till we cover the House of Wisdom, Same. but for now, back to the brothers. They were the sons of Harun al-Rashid. Yes, Al-Amin and Al-Ma'mun, night and day. Isn't that always the case with siblings? Do you have any brothers or sisters? I have two sisters, and I can tell you, night and day. <laughs> I'm the exact same. My brother and I, we are so different. I mean, we already know that families can be pretty messy. But then yeah. you add in politics and you can just imagine. This all came down to a sibling rivalry between two brothers over their father's throne, both competing to see who should rule. Exactly. And this is what Harun al-Rashid feared. He actually woke up one night from a nightmare where he saw his empire in flames and he called for his dream interpreters who warned him of a coming civil war. To stave it off, he named Al-Amin his successor with the promise that after Al-Amin's death, Al-Ma'mun would rule. So he's trying to balance the brothers out. Mm. The problem was... Al-Amin was the younger brother. 
I can imagine this was a really big deal because back then dreams and astrology were so important. They so were omens. Re- yeah, exactly. And I find it quite weird that Ma'mun, Al-Ma'mun, mm-hmm. was older. Why wasn't he first in line? Al-Ma'mun was the son of a Persian concubine. So even though he was older, he's oh. technically a half-brother. And so that's the reason. That makes sense. So it was a lineage issue. Yeah, this succession would really come to haunt Baghdad, honestly. I mean, Harun al-Rashid made the whole court swear to this particular succession when they went on pilgrimage to Mecca. In the meantime, Al-Ma'mun would be given governorship of Khorasan. This is a, a region in the eastern parts of Persia, but it's a really important region for the Abbasids, since that's where their power originally comes from. That's how they overthrew the Umayyads from Khorasan. Well, that would make Al-Ma'mun very powerful. That's a very large piece of land. Eastern parts of Iran, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. He'd be a king in his own region, basically. So he'd have his own army base. You bring up a good point because added to the tensions around this succession is those different military factions that we talked about when we discussed the palace. You had the Anba, the oldest army bloc based in Baghdad, who would become Al-Amin supporters. But Al-Ma'mun would have the backing of the Khorasaniya, the Persian troops. Oh my God, this is getting real messy real quick. Despite these rulers basically being kings, the Khalif has to manage the different power blocks and navigate tricky courtly politics. That has to take some strong political instincts. And that honestly is what Al-Amin lacks. Originally, his reign is sort of peaceful for about two years. He wasn't a bad Khalif. He just had some really bad political instincts and really bad advisors, namely the powerful and conniving Al-Rabbi. Think of him as uh, the worm tongue from Lord of the Rings. He begins to sort of provoke brother against brother. Uh-uh, bad move. He sounds like my brother always picking fights with me that he can't win. <laughs> I could see that. It's probably also a really bad idea to piss off the guy who's basically got his own kingdom at this point with armies and territories that are loyal to him. It was a big mistake, Dina. Al-Ma'mun removes the Khalif's name from the Friday sermon prayers. No. Yep. That is a big move. We already saw how important that was. It literally gives legitimacy to the Khalif. Exactly. And Al-Amin responds. So you got a bit of a tit for tat. He responds by removing Al-Ma'mun from succession, naming his own son and therefore breaking their oath to their father. That's when Al-Ma'mun declares himself imam or the prayer leader. And this, of course, increases the tension. Al-Amin ups the ante, declaring a new governor of Khorasana. Ali ibn Isa, who is under orders to arrest Al-Amin's brother. It becomes a tit-for-tat, which eventually spirals into a civil war in 811 CE. So on one side, we have Al-Amin and his Anba troops and the powerful families of Baghdad. And on the other side, we have Al-Ma'mun and the Persian troops and the powerful families of Khorasan. And Al-Ma'mun had much better advisors. He had this guy named Fadl ibn Sal and a very powerful general known as Tahir. Fadl was way more clever than the advisor Al-Rabi, who was actually counseling Al-Amin. When we looked at the Palace of the Golden Gate, I remember you saying how powerful viziers and advisors were. They made up the core of the court. Did they have their own Jafars and were they evil like him? 
They were a little bit. Al-Rabi definitely falls into that mold. I mean, a good advisor can make all the difference in the world. Al-Fadl was a good advisor. He, in fact, counseled not to push the battle, but to wait and to take up a defensive stance, letting Al-Amin's forces come to Al-Ma'mun. Al-Rabi, on the other hand, who is like this Jafar-like character you mentioned, pushes for the war. He told Al-Amin, dispatch your army and quickly depose your brother. And so what does Al-Ma'mun do? He listens to advisor. He waits. He has Tahir wait with the army from Baghdad coming to them. And then they fight them on familiar ground. And despite the fact that Al-Ma'mun's forces are much smaller from the troops in Baghdad, Al-Ma'mun wins the day. That has to change the game on the ground. Losing the first battle of war would literally sap your soldiers' motivation and weaken your support, no? Yeah, the momentum was Al-Ma'mun's. Tahir won that battle and then battle after battle after that. Until at one point, even Al-Amin's own troops begin to rebel in a mini-coup of sorts. Now, Al-Amin tries to hold on for a little bit, but the damage was done. Yeah, there's really no coming back from something like that, is there? If your own troops and supporters abandon you, then that's the final nail in the coffin. It was a disaster for Al-Amin. Tahir is given this fancy title, the one with the two headships, along with his commander, Hafama, and they press their advantage. And Slowly, bit by bit, different territories fall under their control. Arabia joins Al-Ma'mun, as does Egypt, your hometown. That's a big deal. Now you have North Africa. You have Arabia, the place of Mecca, siding with you. Then falls Mosul and Basra and Khufa. And eventually, that evil Jafar-like advisor, Al-Rabi, he resigns. Like a rat on a sinking ship. He also flees after he was the one who pushed for the war in the first place. The one who set the whole thing in motion. Usually, I say, if you can't handle the heat, don't step in the kitchen. (laughs) But he literally thought he could handle the heat. Overconfidence. That was his big failure. He saw the writing on the walls, though. Harthama swept in from the east and Tahir came in from the west of Baghdad and the city was caught right in the middle of it. Al-Amin tried to call upon the ordinary people to kind of rise up, but this time it was over for him. It was too late. Tahir took Harbiya. And Harbiya is the suburb where a lot of the Persian and non-Arab population lived. Right, so the base of power for Al-Ma'mun. And because of this, by taking Harbiya, we're going to actually see a suburb versus suburb war. The civil war will become a year-long city fight between these different factions. It's like the war focused on the city. The fight outside of Baghdad was brought into Baghdad, which must have been devastating. Uh, it was brutal. In 811, Tahir managed to cut off the bridges to the river and cut Baghdad's support. Al-Amin tries to flee, but he's caught and he's executed. By his own brother? By his own brother's troops, so his brother's <sighs> hands are technically clean. We've heard of Khalifs who were killed or poisoned, but execution must have been a completely different experience, especially if it's your brother. It was. It fractured the caliphate pretty severely. It would take Al-Ma'mun nearly eight more years before he got the caliphate back under control. But really, it would never be quite the same. In 819, he finally, after bringing it all under control, marches into Baghdad with his whole retinue wearing green. But his reign would be fraught. 
And we all know that putting together the pieces after a civil war is very hard. Not everyone manages it. Countries break up from civil wars. Yeah, it would be a completely different caliphate from then on. Still powerful and wealthy, but new factions would arrive, new powers and families. You'd have more power in the Turkic mercenaries and slave soldiers, while a lot of the regions would actually begin to have dynasties of their own, loyal to the caliph, but with their own power base. The civil war is the turning point. There is no going back. You can almost see old Baghdad, the city of peace, fade away for this new one to emerge. Ali, does Baghdad survive it? It does. It's rebuilt, but it will continue to be full of strife. Within a generation, it will be caught between the anarchy in Samara, where a troop rebellion will remake the entire politics of the Abbasids, and then the Zand rebellion, a great slave rebellion, which will shake the caliphate to the core. What ends up happening is that the Abbasids, originally the most powerful family, would simply become one among many powerful families. So even though it continues on for centuries more and as a huge cultural hub, the city of peace has now changed. It's more tense than ever before. Bag drama. <laughs> Did you like that? I love it. I love a good pun. The intrigue and drama is intense. This should be a miniseries or TV show. I would absolutely watch that. Of course you would, warrior nerd. <laughs> From the night of the three caliphs to the war between two brothers, it was all so intense. I'm looking forward to something a bit more peaceful next time. Thank you for joining us. I'm Dina. And I'm Ali. This is a Ubisoft podcast produced by Paradiso Media. Be sure to subscribe to Echoes of History podcast so you don't miss the next episode of Baghdad Soundwalks. See you next time, fellow travelers. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.